0: Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David. He fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And a verse here that has application for all of us. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty you might be rich. I I don't know. You know, we read this book here like like it's a textbook. That thing is live. When you, you read that, that stuff jumps off the pages and goes right here. That stuff should go right here and you should live it and it should come to life inside of you. You should realize that what Jesus did was give you an opportunity to live like a prince, like a king. You got to know that. You got to live that. You got to understand that. You got to believe everything about it. (laughs) David wept when he got the news from Gilboa. King Saul and his three sons had perished in battle. Jonathan, Abinadab, Malcheshua, three princes, three kings who never was because of a father's disobedience. You can preach that. Three kings that never was because of a father's disobedience. Think about it. After David had been king a while, he asked Saul, an aged servant, is there anyone left from the house of Saul to whom I may show kindness? And the man identified Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, who lived beyond the reach of the palace in Lodabar. Now I can imagine the difficulty the servant must have felt for Mephibosheth was different. Now you think about this too. Any of you ever thought you were different? I don't have any problem at all knowing that I am. That's what I like about God. He likes me in spite of me. He likes me in spite of what difference there may be in me. Oh, you may be a little radical, Robertson. Oh, Jesus loves me anyhow. You may be a little crazy, Robertson. Well, Jesus loves me anyhow. You may go out in the woods and do crazy things. Jesus loves me anyhow. Come on now. You may walk in late to church looking like a king. Jesus loves you anyhow. Right, James? (laughs) Look at that, man. woo I'm sorry, Keith. You, you two, I couldn't help it. I was in the midst of making a point. You two walked in, and I just had to use you. <laughs> if I could get me a bow tie like that, I'd put a little button on it, where to go whirl around like that, you know. <laughs> All right, smile. Come on now, give me a little smile here. There you go. That's better. <laughs> Jesus loves us in spite. So you know we have Mephibosheth, who's different. Now he would say, King, he's not like your son prince solomon he's not like him he did not have the advantage of tutors and wise advisors sensing that lack of education didn't matter the king the servant probably got a little bolder and went a little further now he's not like he's not like solomon he didn't have all those tutors king i i i, I just got to tell you he, he, he's not like prince absalom you know, he's not like him at all he, his appearance come on king he's he, he, you know absolutely got that long beautiful hair you know walks around looking good all the girls go, "Oh, you know, and it's not like that <laughs> a few girls like that oh, I hair that look like a woman on a man, and some women get all turned on by that. Do you know what hides in that hair on a man like that? Let me tell you something." I, got, I put something in your mind right there good for me. The story went on and unfolded of the day when, when the news of Gilboa swept the palace. A nurse picked up young Mephibosheth and in her haste to escape, happened to drop the child and the young man became lame on both of his feet. So he was hidden in the wastelands of Lodabar. All these many years, Mephibosheth was not much to look at. He wasn't. And so the servant was trying to get all this across. This is not anything. Do you really want this in the palace? Do you really want this in the palace? There are people that have walked in the back of this church before who have looked at us and they said, Do these people really want me in here? Do these people really want me in this church? I don't fit in. Let me tell you, honey, I don't care who you are. This is a place where everybody fits in. And we will find a way for you to fit in. If you will allow us to, you will find a way to fit in. Oh! Yeah! You see, Mephibosheth had this problem, and I've seen some of you have this same problem. He had a poor self-image. When he saw David later, he said, I'm just a dead dog. And some of people, I've had people even tell me that I, I can't fit into the church because I'm no more, not in this same verbiage, but you understand it's basically the same. I'm no more than a dead dog. I can never be what you are. Thank God you can't be what I am. But we can all be one thing in one culture, and that is the culture of Jesus Christ. And we can love one another, and we can live for God together, and we can see good things happen together. We can grasp hands, and we can know that God can do anything. Like Mephibosheth, our future was once different. Born to Adam and Eve, who had dominion over the entire realm of creation. We were kings and queens to be. All of us had that in our background. Do you know that? That's what we were all intended to be. God intended that. We were destined, every one of us, to live in paradise. We could have sat beside one of Eden's four rivers eating fruit from the tree of life. We could have laid our heads on the shoulders of lions and bears and, and stared into the canopy above the water, uh, the water and watered the garden. We could have done that. We could have done it. Our lives might have been idyllic and, and free from care and worry. Each and every evening we could have walked with God down well-worn pathways and, and we could uh, talk to our Creator and commune. He would commune with us and tell us about His day and how many galaxies were made and what sort of issues were handled in the cosmos. We could have talked about our day and naming a new giraffe or being born, had been born, cultivating the north 40 acres in Jezreel and and the great worship plan for Jehovah. We could have talked about that. We were once kings and queens in the making. But because of the fall of our parents, this future is a distant memory. Put our kingship in past tense. You know, it's kind of like it's kind of like saying we had royalty in our lineage a millennia ago. Who cares? Everybody does. Who cares? Live without it a few days and it hurts. Live with the knowledge of what might have been for a few thousand years, pain goes away. Through no fault of our own, we were exiled. Our children were not born with scepters but with shovels. We didn't tend to the realm, but but to the gardens. And each generation grew further away from what might have been. I am going to put something, little Robertson, in this. And this is me, what I'm about to say. I have wondered through the years if some of what I'm saying tonight might not have been why it seemed like that past generations were closer to god than we are today because the further we get away from that time the less and more becomes a distant memory somehow in the forgive me for using the terms but genetic memory of older people they were closer to the garden of eden than what we are today that's why that there's more teaching on evolution today understand what i'm saying but that doesn't mean that we can't kick back. We can't go back and, and, and find that all over again. I still believe in a God that can commune with me. I still believe in a God that can heal me. I still believe a God that can deliver me. I still believe in a God that can save me. Like Mephibosheth, we became lame on our feet. And our paths grew crooked. We could no longer walk in the ways of God. We grew accustomed to living outside of God's presence. And like Cain's offspring in Genesis 4, Lamech became the father of those who tended livestock. Jubal was the father of those who played musical instruments. Tubal Cain became the father of smiths who fashioned works from metal. Cain taught his family to make a living. He taught his family to cope. He also taught him to live without God. Strangers, aliens, having no hope, according to Ephesians two. So far, so far were we. So far were we from what might have been. Recently, I just read a, an article. It was about Alaska. Everybody knows I like that stuff. But this this man was writing this article was talking about cold. The cold of Alaska. You like cold, I know. Enjoy that. And. Uh, I begin to put the analogy together of people that grow further and further from God to what this man, the story this man told in, 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 in a physical sense. And he, he defined uh, cold as the absence of heat, in which we know that darkness is the absence of light. So the analogy can correspond one with the other. So we know that then cold is the absence of heat. And, and, and again, we see that uh, the complete absence of heat is called absolute zero. It's a temperature measured at 459 degrees below zero or 459 Kelvin. It has only been achieved in a laboratory, but it's never found in nature. Regardless of how cold it gets, regardless, you are always basking in some degree of heat. No matter how bad it may seem in your life, regardless of how cold you may think you are, there is a God that has given you a measure of warmth, if you would, a measure of faith, a measure of light, regardless of the darkness that you're walking in, there's always going to be some light. There's always going to be an opportunity. There's always going to be a God that says my grace is sufficient for thee. I'll give Him a hand clap You know, I don't know if God will ever do this. We don't do it too much now. There's a purpose and reason for it. But in heaven, it won't make any difference. You've got to remember, in heaven, there's going to be an eternity. So they can have testimony services. A real testimony service I like, too. A real testimony service. The fact is, I need to define and teach for at least two or three weeks on what a testimony service is. But let's say in heaven they have a testimony service. We all get up there. We spent seven years in like that. Mouths open for seven years. That's what it says. Okay, because just you know, wow, it was heaven. I really made it. That's what you I know he will. I don't know. He probably yeah, he couldn't shut his mouth. Seven years would be easy for him. <coughs> be no problem. So <laughs> You know, if you had a testimony service in heaven, every one of us would praise God because He never gave up on us. I mean, really, that would work here. But for an eternity, we could say, God never gave up on me. Ah. Our path back to the palace did not start with fallen mankind. It started with a gracious God. And we just simply followed that trail of warmth that He left for us. <laughs> Come on, that's what we did. You know the grace Paul said in the most intimate letter at 2 Corinthians, He who was rich became poor for you, the reason that we might be rich. Mephibosheth had nothing. He was in some backwater town of Lodabar. Now think about Look, I know a town, and two of them, in, in Brown County. One of them is named... Knollbone. And the other one is Stonehead. Now, that would like being. Hey, Mephibosheth, where are you from? I'm from Knollbone. You know, he said, I didn't know there was a town like that in the kingdom. Lodabar. You know? Nalbon, same way. That's actually Hebrew for Knollbone. Lodabar. <laughs> you know. And why was he in this backwater town of Nalbon? Now, you didn't want to say in the Mephibosheth this morning, so I'm just going to call Lodabar or Nalbon, so will this all know what it is. So why was he in this backwater town of Nalbon? He lived in fear of being discovered. You don't get discovered in Nalbon. All other descendants of Saul have been killed. There's a reason to hide in Nalbon. He had heard of what happened to Rizpah's son, his half-brothers. They had been offered as sacrifices to chase away a famine in 2 Samuel 3. Such treatment of former royalty does not breed a lot of confidence. I'm going to hide. I'm going to go to Stonehead, Lohan, Nalbone, Lodabar, all those places. I'm going to hide. You know? Better stay hidden there. Don't stick your head up, Mephibosheth. Learn to cope with this hovel. You hear me? You know, that's exactly what. Learn to cope with being a resident of Nalbone. You understand what I'm saying? Some of you just, you're going to just stay hidden away you know the thing about about being a part of a church is that you know you're around people a lot and when you're around people you're going to get your feelings hurt you're know, you going to get your feelings, someone's going to say something I got hurt, I'm just going to stay home and have Bible study I'm sorry but you better if you study this you're going to see you can't forsake assembling yourselves together as a matter of some is but even that much more when you see that day approaching every time I pick it up it talks to me like that so, you know, some people just want to cope with the hovel. That's all they do. But they day came that Mephibosheth heard some hurried hoofbeats, shouting commotion outside of his shack. He probably cringed in fear and he hid behind the stone head. He said, I've had enough of this. They found me. I'm going to be killed. So Mephibosheth was found, but he was not to be killed. He was to be promoted to the king's How do you know? that God doesn't want to promote you. You've hidden all this time. You've tried to stay hidden in some, some, some one-horse town. And now you've been discovered. You can sit back there and cringe and shake and your knees can knock together or you can be promoted to the king's palace right up here at his altar. That's called amazing grace. That's what that's called, amazing grace. We can sympathize with Mephibosheth. For we, we, we've had to experience such grace. Every one of us has experienced, if you've received the Holy Ghost, you know what it's like. Do you remember what you felt like the joy? Why do you have joy when the Holy Ghost comes in? It's because you've experienced amazing grace. There's a part of God that has entered into you, and you feel that wonderful grace, that wonderful mercy, and that love that God has just poured out inside of you. That makes anybody happy. If you've not experienced that in a while, you better come down here and talk in tongues so you get it again. Though our Lord was rich, yet for our sakes He became poor. John said the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us in John 1.14. He who was the bread of life became hungry. He who was the living water grew thirsty. He to whom all pray now became a man of prayer. The wisdom of God grew in knowledge. He became poor for our sake. Born in poverty, reared in obscurity, Isaiah called him a man of sorrows. At Calvary, he was numbered with the transgressors. And I come to this scripture throughout the last 25 years. I've been to this scripture a hundred times, and I've gotten in trouble for it. I got reported for it one time. And every time I just use it just to see if I can nagle somebody else with it. Because it's one of those profound scriptures. And every time, every time I read it, the profundity of this particular scripture always gets me even that much more. Are you ready? He who knew no sin. Now again, I, I have a hard time with this. He who knew no sin became sin for us in Second Corinthians 5.21. Uh, and how can anybody truly understand that verse? Now I'm serious. What can it mean? He became sin for you and me. In other words, he tasted, felt what the sinner feels. And you say that to somebody with no knowledge, no ability, no wisdom, and they're going to think that you called Jesus a sinner. No! He loved us so much that He tasted what we taste. He was not a sinner. He knew no sin. He was a spotless Lamb of God. Our wrongs were put on the Christ that we might be made right. He became poor that we might be rich. That's grace. Jesus came full of grace and truth. He offered grace. He said, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. In John 8 and 11. Grace to those who least deserve that. He offered kindness. More grace is available to the humble in James 4.6. Grace helps us to behave ourselves in 2 Corinthians 1.12. Grace helps us to serve God acceptably. Hebrews 12.15. Grace teaches us how to live in Titus 2.11. More grace is given to those who give it away in 1 Peter 4.10. Merciful people obtain mercy. Gracious people find grace. You want grace? Give grace. I come to the limit in my life as I get older. And I've seen older ministers do this. When I was young, I was a firebrand. I'd put you in hell in a second. I still believe that you go to hell if you don't do right. Don't really. But I like putting you there. Now, I do everything in the world to keep you from going. I keep offering, extending, extending. My life says, "How much more can you do? How much more can you do? How much more can you do?" But the older I get, the more grace is given to me. The more grace I give away, the more grace is given to me. The more grace I give, the more grace comes. I learned that. (laughs) I've learned that. And there's a mellowness that comes with grace. We are justified freely by His grace. Not because of what we've done, but because of what He has done. God never gave up. God's great grip of grace reached down to us in spite of Of how cold we become. His great grace still extends to us. All all of us have gone the wrong direction. As sinners we just naturally go the wrong direction. As recipients of grace we're going to in another direction. 180 degrees God turned us around. David restored to Mephibosheth. What had been taken from him? The properties that had been Saul's families were given back. The dignity of life in the palace was given back to Mephibosheth. A pauper has become a prince. I who was poor am now rich. I I want you to look who's in the palace right now. Look who's in the palace think of Saul of Tarsus he lay in a house in the town of Damascus his whole life had been upended everything that he he held dear everything he believed brother Tony it it was upended what he thought was right was wrong what he thought was wrong was right ever been there took his eyes to be blinded that he could see it him being humbled that God might exalt him. How would he be lifted up? God chose a man named Ananias to come to him. The name Ananias means God has been gracious. While Paul was in darkness, grace moved in his direction. You got that? When you get real cold, warmth is moving your direction. Grace prayed for him. Grace healed and baptized him. Grace rescues and grace elevates. Although Mephibosheth was lame on both feet, he sat at the king's table. When you sat at a table, you naturally sat down in a chair, you pull the chair up, and your feet go under the table. Two lame feet went under the table. David's table. Think about this. Our insufficiency is hidden beneath the king's goodness. I don't care how much you feel like you lack, your insufficiency is hidden. You know, I'm going to say this, and if I embarrass him, that's all right. Been, I've been getting after him because he's so—he's such a light talker. You know, he—he he, thinks. I understand. I can't hear a lick, and he—you know—he's probably blowing his eardrums out. and I say, "Hey, come on, get a little louder up here." and, only, and I got to have it up here because I got to hear it. And uh, so I get after him, but he loves me, and uh, we've had. Turnaround here in our church last four or five weeks, and I think there's two reasons for that. One of them is this one right here, yeah, and the other one is that guy right there. God's grace covers a multitude of sins. The more humble you are, the more God moves. The more grace. Mistakes you make, God covers with grace. Ever wonder why the people... You get a singer, can't sing a lick. And every time... And that happens with me. You know, people like to worship when I sing. I can't sing a lick. You don't have to agree. You just... It's because grace hides a multitude of sins. A lot of mistakes are hidden by grace. You know what? Grace can fall as a way of an anointing on a person who can't do anything. Mm. Music come. David wants to ask, he said, Is there any left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? The son of David asked the same question today, tonight. That question's being asked. He looks for the hurting, he looks for the wounded, and he looks for the bruised. That's what he looks for. He longs to help someone in this house right now. Aren't you tired of coming to God with the same old problem? Grace wants to cover it and deliver you from it tonight. Now, I'm not saying that to make you feel good. Because I'm going to, in fact, I, I'm, I'm not done, but this altar is open right now. You can come right down here, and you can, you don't have to tell me what you need. I can pray for you, and God's going to take care of it. Or one of these will pray for you. One, one or the other. But you need, and you need to stand with me so it's easier for you to work your way down here, because the devil's trying to tell you right now that it's not going to happen, it's not going to work, it's going to hurt my faith. That's a lie from hell. A lie from hell. He longs to help someone, and He will. But what you have to do is come and take your place at His table right now. This is His table. Come and take your place at His table. You need to bring your lameness, bring your weakness, bring your hurt to the table. Come into the presence of the Lord and receive grace. And you can leave this building today saying, look who's in His palace. This is a sinner saved by grace. I I want to tell you what, God, I I jotted something down here that what God gave me a little earlier. If you would close your eyes. At one time, there's somebody here that lived truth. And you're on this side over here, on my left. And you became cold. And let me tell you a little bit about the cold that you became. Because one of the things that I've learned... Trappers say in Alaska, they wait for that special time in the winter when all the swamps and the bogs all freeze over and they can travel. And they can go set their traps in places where they couldn't do it normally. And an analogy for you is this. As you become colder and colder, there's places that begin to freeze. Places that you would never have gone when you were on fire for God. But because of that great cold, those areas became they, they look good to you, and you begin to walk in areas that you never would have walked in before. And as a result of that, you became colder yourself. And you begin to believe a lie. Now that's that's what God gave me, and it's for someone on my left hand side. There may be others it applies to, but I just know that there's someone on that side. What God wants to do is He wants to show you grace this evening. He wants to show you. He wants to show you that you can be forgiven, and He can just cast all this aside, and you can be brought back into the palace again. You feel a little lame maybe in your feet right now, but God wants to cover that lameness with His goodness. That's what He wants to do. This altar is open for you. This altar is open for you.